the dominant imagery in the passage that has just been read in your hearing is the imagery of a race, a runner. Hence the title of this message today, Striving for Perfection Without Stumbling into Perfectionism. Our Lord admonished us this way in the Gospel of Matthew. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Those who run races do not win all their races. But in the fashion of Jeff Foxworthy, not for the sake of humor, but for the sake of making some points. If you run a race and you come in second instead of first, and you think that you failed, so you should never run a race again, you are probably a perfectionist. Young people, if you receive an A- minus for a course instead of an A and think that you have failed, and I count myself among students like that, then you are probably a perfectionist. If you assume that your teacher thinks more highly of you if you make an A and less of you because you did not make an A, then you are probably a perfectionist. If you think that nothing you attempt to do is ever good enough to meet the expectations of yourself or of others, then you are probably a perfectionist. And if you tell yourself that unless you achieve perfection in everything you do, it is pointless to try and therefore better to give up and stop trying, then you are probably a perfectionist. And if after trying a new task for the first time, you do not achieve perfection and give up trying, then you are probably a perfectionist. If you are obsessed with having an ordered and structured life without disruptions, you are probably a perfectionist. If you are judgmental of others who fall short of your standard of perfection, then you are probably a perfectionist. If you measure your standing before God by your performance and discover to your shock and your surprise that you sin and fall short of perfection, then you are probably a perfectionist. Many perfectionists who claim to be Christians rightly live with guilt before God because they look to their behavior instead of to Christ Jesus as the basis for their right standing with God. This is why many perfectionists realize when they fall short of God's glory, rather than look to Christ Jesus, they try to avoid guilt for their actual sins by lowering the standard of God's commands so that they can achieve their redefined perfection and not feel guilt. There are lots of people like that. Dr. Phil of TV fame may disagree, but perfectionism is not primarily a psychological problem to be resolved by psychotherapy. In fact, perfectionism is fundamentally 
a spiritual problem because if we would know ourselves rightly, we must know God rightly. And if we do not know God rightly, we will not know ourselves rightly. But if we do know God rightly, we will rightly know ourselves as people who fail and fall short of perfection, even as we strive for it. Therefore, the remedy of perfectionism is not psychotherapy, but spiritual transformation. Psychotherapeutic counseling may help alleviate some symptoms of perfectionism, but it leaves untouched the real core problem, which is the sin of self-centeredness that fails to look to Christ Jesus alone for one's true and proper identity before God and before others. And, we might add, in one's own understanding. God's word addresses the problem of perfectionism in a much fuller way than human psychology can ever do. God's word addresses the whole person, how we should relate both to the world around us and to God. And so my objective today is quite simple. I want to remind you of the apostles' perspective from a passage that is doubtless quite familiar to you, from Philippians chapter 3, verses 2 through 16. And just to keep it fresh in our memory, I'm going to read the segment that we're going to be expounding here in, in three different portions, and I'm going to read it from a different version just to give you a little bit of a different hearing. So the opening verses read like this. If someone thinks he has good reasons to put confidence in human credentials, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day from the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I lived according to the law as a Pharisee. In my zeal for God, I persecuted the church. According to the righteousness stipulated in the law, I was blameless. But these assets I have come to regard as liabilities because of Christ. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. His name was Saul, after King Saul. But in this brief segment, we find this, the first point being, because our pedigrees do not measure up before God, measuring up to our pedigrees will not set us right with God. Let me repeat that. Because our pedigrees, our background, our heritage, does not measure up before God, measuring up to our pedigree will not set us right with God. Our preoccupation with thinking that we can and must in this present life achieve perfection usually comes to us from our pedigree, from our background, from our heritage. Mine did. I was pushed. I was pushed toward perfection, and I've had to grapple with this issue most of my life. Regrettably, unless our concept of God is not corrected early by God's self-revelation in Scripture, those around us will shape our view of God and how we should relate to him. Parental expectations, sibling rivalry, 
a teacher's demands, and society's ideals will all put the squeeze on us to measure up. And if we succumb, we're going to succumb wrongly and sinfully. Strange as it may seem, though we Christians claim to have the gospel of Jesus Christ, many things in our evangelical pedigree have conspired against us to turn us into perfectionists. Christian biographies have portrayed missionaries, especially as believers who never had any shortcomings or failures. Biographies that fail to also introduce to readers the shortcomings of those who are being related to us do us injury. A long tradition of devotional literature that advocates various forms of perfectionism called by different names, deeper life, the abundant life, the higher life, the life of unbroken fellowship with God, the life on a higher plane, a spirit-filled life. All of these have conspired against us to think that if we don't measure up, we have failed. That is measured up by performance. Camps and Bible conferences routinely elevate Christians to spiritual elation for a week or perhaps two by giving a false sense of reality. Removed from the ordinary demands of daily living, a week or so after returning home from a camp or a conference, the realities of life accumulate, they settle in, and the emotional and spiritual elation collapses. For many, despair sets in. Though unintentional, our Christian colleges and universities have also contributed to the problem. Living in close quarters with other Christians, as many of you have experienced, you found these things to be true. It incites many to measure their own spirituality by what they observe in others, the frequency of their reading the Bible in full view of others, the intensity of their praying in small groups, the depth of their knowledge of Scripture, the ease with which they speak to others of God's word, the pious devotion of their demeanor in everything they do, the sense you receive from others that they never even sin. All these and many more conspire against us to induce us toward perfectionism. The notion that we are able to achieve perfection by measuring up to our pedigree. This is a tragic error. Listen to the Apostle Paul's assessment of his own pedigree. More than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung, that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not because of my own righteousness derived from the law, but because of having the righteousness that comes by way of Christ's faithfulness, a righteousness from God that is in fact based on Christ's faithfulness. 
Christ is the one who's faithful. We must be faithful, but faithfulness for us does not mean perfection. We must come to terms with that. And we must be able to describe ourselves and others as faithful without speaking as though we have achieved perfection. So secondly then, the point that Paul makes is this. Because of any hope of being set right with God cannot be found within ourselves or within our pedigrees, but only in the righteousness God provides, we must be found in Christ Jesus if we are to be found righteous before God. One of the major errors of every form of perfectionism is that every perfectionist adjusts the standard downward that they may have some reasonable hope of achieving perfection. This is what the Pharisees did, and Jesus tells them they did this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy, faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Perfectionists measure their attempts to achieve perfection by false standards. Their standards are human and not God's standards. So take note of Paul's fixation. He knows that he will stand before God's judgment bar. He knows that were he to stand before God on his own, he would stand naked and ashamed and condemned. His only hope of salvation is to be found in Christ Jesus. To be found in Christ Jesus is to be found not guilty. That's the language that Paul is using here. It's the language that is courtroom language. To be found in Christ Jesus is to be found not guilty. But to receive God's verdict of justification, of righteousness. So Paul here is modeling for us the posture that we must take to receive God's justifying favor, which rests upon us now and on the day of judgment. There is never a time in our Christian lives that we can regard any of our achievements as the basis for commendation before God. Christ alone is our hope of being found righteous before God. It may seem remarkable that Paul continues to unpack his quest to be found in Christ Jesus on the day of judgment, as he does in the subsequent verses, because here he speaks of his untiring pursuit of Christ as the prize, the reward that he seeks to win, as he finds no satisfaction in present or in past attainments. Paul blasts any hope of grounding our righteous standing before God in our pedigree or our achievements. Yet, Paul refuses to let us suppose that we can relax and take a leisurely stroll through life as if being found in Christ on the day of judgment that has not yet arrived excuses us from the diligent pursuit of Christ in the time God gives to us now. So this brings us to the final segment of this portion of scripture. My aim is to know him, to experience the power of his resurrection, 
to share in his sufferings and to be like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained this, that is, I have not already been perfected, but I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have attained this. Instead, I am single-minded, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching out for the things that are ahead. With this goal in mind, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let those of us who are perfect embrace this point of view. You who think otherwise, God will reveal to you the error of your ways. Nevertheless, let us live up to the standard that we have already attained. So thirdly then, Paul's point is this. Because being set right with God is accomplished by Christ's faithfulness and not our own, it is both folly and sin to think that we either have attained perfection or can attain perfection now, since the day of resurrection has not yet come. But it is also sinful to suppose that we should therefore not quest for perfection that lies beyond our present grasp. We reach out for it. We must. This is our calling. The biblical remedy for perfectionism is that we must acknowledge openly and plainly that we have not yet achieved perfection, nor that we can expect to achieve perfection in the present age, but only in the age to come, when sin will no longer corrupt our desires and deeds or tarnish everything else that we do. The biblical remedy for perfectionism is not to lower the goal. Perfection is to be our goal. What kind of perfection? Full conformity to the person of Jesus Christ. This is Paul's goal and must be ours as well. And unto this, God has foreordained that we shall be conformed to it, to the image of his own son. Paul expresses it this way in our passage. My aim is to know him, that is to know Christ, to experience the power of his resurrection. Now, a new life, to share in his sufferings. That is the Christian life, knowing the power of his resurrection, but also sharing in his sufferings and to be like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. If we want to be raised righteous in Christ Jesus, there is one pathway to that end. And it is this, which Paul is laying out for us here. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul prays for the Ephesian believers this way. I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. Do you hear how remarkable this prayer is? It's remarkable because it is a prayer that we may comprehend what is far beyond our comprehension. That, I say, is striving for perfection. 
comprehending, seeking to comprehend what is incomprehensible. How do we creatures comprehend adequately, fully, in any sense, our God? But that is our goal. That is what Paul is praying for. Paul admits this. Not that I have already attained this, that is, I have not already been perfected, but I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have attained this. Nevertheless, this is no reason to end the quest. Instead, Paul goes on to say, instead, I am single-minded, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching out for the things that are ahead. With this goal in mind, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do athletes stop perfecting their skills because they cannot achieve perfection? What foolishness. The gyms would be empty. There'd be no runners because nobody has achieved perfection on the athletic field. Do pianists give up practicing their skills and their drills because they cannot attain perfect performance? It may sound perfect to us who are not attuned to perfection in the music hall, but the pianist knows I've not yet attained perfection. Friends, Paul is modeling how we must pursue perfection without stumbling into perfectionism. Perfectionists tend either to adjust perfection downward so they can achieve it or to abandon their quest for perfection altogether. Neither is acceptable. The biblical remedy for perfectionism is not difficult if you will hear what the Apostle Paul is telling us in this passage. Three things by way of reminder. Our pedigrees and achievements fall short of the perfection that counts with God. So don't measure yourself by your pedigree. Perfection, secondly, that counts with God is found in Christ Jesus alone. Being found in Christ Jesus alone will set us right with God, both now and on the day of judgment in the last day when we are called to account. And thirdly, perfection lies beyond our grasp in this present age. We must candidly acknowledge it. But this is no proper reason for us to abandon our quest to be perfect as God is perfect. Indeed, it is God's motivation for us to pursue, to pursue perfection without stumbling into perfectionism. Let's pray. Father, you have given all of life as imageries for the very great quest that is ours to be found in Christ Jesus. We have all pursued perfection and we have all fallen far short of it in every quest that we have made, but certainly in the quest to be like our Lord Jesus Christ and to be fully conformed into his image. But we are confident, Father, that this is the very thing to which you have ordained that we should become conformed to the likeness of our Lord. And therefore, with renewed vigor and hearts, we ask that you would enable us to press on in this quest without falling prey to the folly of perfectionism, of either abandoning the quest or diminishing the very goal that we might identify it as achieved. 
Father, give us the grace that is alone in Christ Jesus that we might stand clothed before you in the last day in his righteousness, in his righteousness alone, we pray. Amen.